the Anesthesia Podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Mike Charles. I'm an editor of Anesthesia, and welcome to this special live broadcast today, uh, which is about a new, newly published paper. And today I'm joined by three of the paper's authors, um, and I'll be asking them to introduce themselves shortly. They've authored this new paper, which is all about how to use social media to get published. So in the past, we've seen lots of papers about how social media is really useful for dissemination, but this is different because this talks about how you as a social media user and clinician or author or researcher can actually use some of the functions of social media to get published. So it's absolutely fascinating. It's very, very new. Um, this all forms part of a new series of articles called Reviewer Recommendations. And this is very much a how-to guide um, from the editors of the journal, as well as um, others who um, we've asked to help us with these articles. Um, and it's aimed at authors and readers and, and anyone who's interested, really. Um, and it tells you all sorts of things, how to write a meta-analysis, how to write a review, um, how to even do complicated stats, all in a nice little concise article. So really good CPD. Uh, so welcome, Michelle. Uh, Ed, and welcome to Elopi as well. We managed to get here just in time as well um, from the operating room, which is great. Um, so I'll ask you to all um, just briefly introduce yourself. So we'll start um, with the um, uh, with, with Elopi, if that's okay. So um, um, tell us a little bit about you and um, and how you got involved in this paper. Hello, good morning from New York City. I'm Alopi Patel. I am an assistant professor at Mount Sinai West and Mount Sinai Morningside in New York City. And I am very excited to share what we uh, talk about in this paper. Thank you, Lopi. And we've also got um, uh, Dr. Michelle Cars as well. So can you introduce yourself for us? Hi, thank you for having me. I'm Michelle Cars. I am a, the Chief of Pediatric Anesthesia at Cohen Children's Medical Center in New York and Associate Professor of Anesthesiology with the Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell. Um, and we will talk a little bit about it, but we joined together after speaking on a panel at a conference about social media and um, really put ideas together to come up with this paper, which we're excited to discuss today. Excellent. Thank you very much, Michelle. And also we have my colleague as well, who's an editor at the journal, um, Ed Mariano, and it was great to um, see you, Ed, recently in, in Belfast at Annual Congress. Um, and I know that you've been talking on this topic um, um, with your co-authors as well. Um, uh, very recently from the pictures we've seen on social media, which is great. So can you introduce yourselves for our uh, viewers as well, Ed? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, I have the pleasure of serving as an editor for the journal with Mike, um, and I'm a professor at Stanford, and I'm also currently president of the California Society of Anesthesiologists. Um, and we did, we had a great panel um, just at this most recent uh, PGA 76 in New York City. Um, I actually just got back from New York City yesterday. Um, but this is actually is interesting that the this paper about actually how to how to use social media to get published um, was very relevant because we actually were um, speaking on a panel last year at PGA about social media. Um, and then many of those ideas actually got into our paper that we actually got published. So it's actually a proof of concept. So I um, must make sure I put that in the calendar next year to come to this conference in New York City if it's uh, if it's there in December next year. It sounds like a good trip to me. Um, so I'll start with the first question, which is about the paper itself and, and this concept um, that I've not seen referred to before, which is called the social media scientific method. Um, I'll just open it up to one of you to come in and tell me what, what this is um, and why it's important. Um, I can start and then we'll just kind of hand off. I mean, I think that um, 
Yeah, one of the things that we tend to hear, especially for those of us who are physicians, who are uh, scientists, researchers, authors um, in, in doing research, um, is that oftentimes you know, our colleagues are very skeptical about using social media. And so one of the first things that I try to suggest, at least um, uh, to those who, who perhaps have never used social media before, is that you know, this is really where conversations are happening. So if you, if you are a scientist, if you are a physician that's interested um, in asking questions and answering questions, um, and hopefully sharing that information, then really you're just you're just repeating the scientific method. And the scientific method actually starts with observation. And so um, if you know where the conversations are happening, if you know where people are talking about topics that are relevant um, to medicine and healthcare um, on social media, then social media is really, really where you need to be. So we incorporated that into this graphic, um, which I think it yeah, tries to take different elements of social media as it's and its bi-directionality and incorporates it into the, the social that uh, this construct of the uh, scientific method that we've all learned. I think taking that one step further and, you know, when we enter these ideas in, you know, you generate your ideas, your hypotheses, you want to test it out. But a big part of social media is actually getting, being able to network and get collaborators. So changing, you know, taking your hypothesis and now figuring out how you're going to you know, study it and, and observe it and, and having um, the opportunity to network with this, you know, broad group that you've now um, connected with on social media is a big part of that. Yes, absolutely agree with what uh, Ed and Michelle both said. It's a way to really amplify a message. So even when you do get to the end of the scientific method and you have results, how do you reach other researchers or other uh, people who are interested in the same matter to really corroborate if this is if this is consistent across the um, across the spectrum? So I think it's a great way in many different layers of the scientific method to to look at it in a different lens. Yeah, that's actually one thing. I remember when, during our panel at PGA a couple of days ago, um, you know, we had actually talked about just the importance of, of networking through social media. And, and that's something that I think um, is, is really next level, I think, for the scientific method when you incorporate social media, because now you can reach out to um, the experts in the field. So you have, you're discussing a topic, you're interested in asking a question, you've read someone's paper, um, but yeah, there's a good chance that you might be able to connect with that person directly you know, through social networking. Um, and I don't think that we've really had those kinds of uh, direct tools in the past until we started really incorporating um, social media into our, into our professional careers. Um, but now you have these, you know, these networks that we've been able to develop um, you know, now over time. Um, and if you, want, if you want those people you know, who actually have these original ideas to help uh, participate in your work, then now you've got this great group of virtual collaborators. And, um, and many of those, you know, those ideas that have been discussed online have really turned into very interesting uh, writing projects. I think about before we had these platforms and think the networking, what we were talking about is the access to hat to people, right? So it's this access that you that we never had before because um, if I was writing, a, if I saw Ed was doing research and I might not email him directly to be like, let's you know talk about. I'm really I have these ideas, but now it's opened up access where we, you really can connect directly with somebody who would be an original author or someone and for, and it, it not only helps with your research, but we can talk about a little more, your really career growth and networking 
outside of just publishing your academic work. So, and having, you know, gaining mentors and um, support for the work that you want to do. Yeah, I've never really thought about it in those terms before because I think we hear so much all the time about how we talk about papers and how we try and get messages out there using social media, but it's it's far more than that, isn't it? It's about, like you say, access to people and networks and collaboration and, and discussions that really springboard new projects and new ideas and papers as well. Um, so, And that's the first time I've seen something like that uh, precipitated in a scientific paper as well. So um, it's it's really important work and it was great to have it uh, in the journal. But yeah, before we talk about Twitter, that, yeah. sorry, go on, Ed. Oh yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I think that one of the um, hard things, I think, especially for any, um, any researcher, any author, um, when you're getting started, um, is, uh, is just staring at a blank screen um, and trying to figure out where do I start? Um, but one of the interesting things I think that I've observed, at least in, um, in using social media for the last few years, is that you can just you know, stumble upon interesting conversations um, between people, um, people who are asking questions or, or debating controversial ideas um, you know, on these platforms. And you already have you know, just right in front of you um, the topics that may be worth investigating um, because these are the things, you know, they're, you know, they're going back and forth about different papers. You know, so they're sharing references. Um, you know, you'll see people just asking very um, natural questions of each other and you know, debating topics that maybe don't have solid answers. But, um, yeah, but it, I think that by observing a lot of those interactions, you, know, you actually get these great ideas um, you know, for things that you know, may be a re the next research project. It could be a good perspectives article or editorial, um, could be a great review. Um, but I think that you can generate a really interesting list that way. So before we talk about Twitter, um, which is where we are right now, being live streamed um, to all our uh, followers. And we see we've got some people watching us live now, which is great. Um, but what other platforms are useful? Um, because we're not streaming on um, Twitch or on Instagram or elsewhere or on Twitter. Um, but what other platforms are about um, available out there? Um, and how are they useful in different ways? So I personally used Instagram um, for my brand, which is how I stumbled upon social media and using it professionally. But Instagram is a great platform for a younger generation. And I think it's important to understand that each social media platform has a specific user type. And depending on who you want to connect with, what your goals may be, whether this is communication, networking, branding, marketing, whatever it may be, or even education, resident education, patient education, depending on what your goals are, the social media platform that you use will be the most important. So if you're trying to appeal to a younger generation, perhaps combat medical misinformation, then perhaps TikTok, which is where a lot of the younger generation get their information from. If it's a slightly older generation, I'm talking about like not Gen Z now, but millennial generation, and you want to talk about lifestyle, health, whatever it may be, then perhaps Instagram might be a good platform. I've personally used Instagram and dabbled in TikTok. And then if you're looking to connect with other researchers, collaborators, talk about evolving topics in medicine and use it professionally, then TikTok might be the one. LinkedIn is another social media platform. It's, it's funny to think of it as a social media platform now because when we first were using it many years ago, it was mostly like an online CV, but really has become a great way for people to, again, um, connect with network and 
and also diversify um, their portfolio by, by creating new job opportunities. So I think depending on what your goals are, there are many different social medias to use very creatively for what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would I I would say second to Twitter, Instagram also, and it also may be, you know, a little generational too. I also dabbled in TikTok, I, I would say as well. Um, I do think, you know, we're we're talking about field of anesthesia here, but I think different fields of medicine also gravitate depending on, you know, what they are to if they're more visual, Instagram. So with even within anesthesia, depending on what you're um, working with. Um, Instagram is more visual um, in terms of being basically built around photos. So I think that also leads to it as well. Um, and we'll talk more about Twitter, but also depending on how conversational you want to be in what you're posting in your intent, I think also determines the platform because some are definitely more, you know, bi-directional versus just posting. Yeah, I think we see that too. I mean, within the, I know within the U.S., you know, we always look at you know, different statistics for uh, social media use, and and YouTube is is number one, and then but Facebook is actually number two still, so it's still used by um, you know, a large number um, of Americans. But at the same time, I think that um, there are generational shifts, and I think that the data really demonstrate that um, certain subsets um, you know, of the of society you know, tend to gravitate towards certain platforms, um, and and that a lot of it may be you know, what um, you know, what they were exposed to when they first started to enter the social media universe. Um, but also, I think, uh, as Alopi had said, uh, many of the, many of the features I think really um, yeah will yeah, will be more appealing you know, to to a certain subset of people. So I, I do think that if um, yeah if if using social media as part of your academic career, uh, if it's intentional, um, then yeah, then you do have to think about perhaps diversifying your portfolio of platforms yeah, just to, so that way it best suits um, really the. Yeah, what you're trying to accomplish yeah, as a physician, as a professional. Yeah, I guess from the journal's perspective, we're always trying to look at different platforms out there to use and uh, and what's available. And we've got an Instagram account and we've we've used Facebook before and um, and we've looked at other platforms as well. But there was a bit of a worry recently that, um, that there was going to be problems with Twitter uh, that have been quite well publicized. Um, are there any direct sort of... Um, um, alternatives to Twitter, or or is is Twitter very much here to stay? Do you think? Yes, I'll I'll start. We can, we actually had a few questions about this um, when we were in New York a couple of days ago. Um, but yeah, I think that that's it's still as of today. You know, Twitter still exists. Uh, I think that there's a lot of fair amount of controversy as to uh, yeah how uh, new ownership is handling this transition. Um, the uh, we have I think for for many of us I think who um, who use you know, Twitter or use you know, Med Twitter for the sharing of information um, I think that there was a lot of concern and still is um, partly because I think you know, while it's not the world's most popular social media platform um, it is really the only thing like it um, you, know, you can get these snippets of real of information you can get uh, real time updates. Um, and many of us use it for you know, for our you know, general general news as well as you know, our uh, scientific and medical and healthcare news. Um, and it is such a powerful networking platform because of the ease of um, asynchronous conversation with people around the world. 
Um, and there's, uh, there is no easy backup plan. I know many of us um, have uh, been dabbling in, in Mastodon. Mastodon is its own thing. Um, I, I personally don't completely understand it. It's federated, so there are multiple different servers and they're managed by different people. Um, I found my way to the Med Mastodon server um, indirectly um, by just going to someone else's account who also had one uh, on MedMastodon, as opposed to trying to choose my server offhand, because if it, typically if you try to go to Mastodon, that's what it'll have you do. It'll say, choose your server. And then you just you know, you know just shake your head like this and you just say, well, how do I even do that? Um, so I think the ease of entry is not quite as, as simple. Um, yeah, there are some similarities, um, I think, to the Twitter platform, but yeah, the, the user base is is currently still very small. I think many of us are uh, trying to be optimistic that Twitter will continue to exist. Absolutely. I, I was gonna say, I think, I agree. I think the ease of Twitter has really, and now it's been so, you know, kind of established as our main uh, primary social media platform, at least within our field, that it's earned its way, you know, for everything from journals to, you know, department, um, you know, tweeting to individual uh, clinical providers. But it, I think that it's, it's, I think people are comfortable with it. So there's definitely the comfort and we, what we know it we're comfortable with and it works. So um, people continue to use it. I definitely think there's def an uneasiness um, in terms of, well, our backup plans are not really as good right now or not as easy. Um, and I so for now, I see it staying just because it's it's really built its place in our profession. Um, so it really it's it's been it's like we said, it's very powerful. Um, so I, it's, I think it's going to be it would be hard or it would take a long time to transition to a different, seemingly more difficult platform as our primary platform. I agree. I think it's here to stay. And so far, any other social media platforms that have tried to, to launch similarly a couple of years ago was the platform Parler, which I also dabbled in to, to kind of observe what is Twitter without Twitter. Um, and I think I, I like that aspect of observing other social media platforms more so from like a psychology background. I like to observe how people create their own echo chambers. I think depending on how you decide to use a social media platform um, is very important. But either way, I think Twitter, I believe is here to stay. And so far I have not engaged in any of the other alternatives. And I think it's TPP is one of the main messages we kept uh, hearing at our panel to be determined where are we going with this or that? I think a lot of social media is evolving and it's to be determined. Yeah, one of the topics that came up um, at our panel too, um, it was also this, the issue of advocacy. And so um, so, the, so who, who uses it, even if it's not the most popular platform, um, who uses it is actually really important. And it's still uh, very regularly used by uh, politicians um, yeah, as well as by the public. And so um, it's uh, it's really difficult you know, to think about just walking away from that when um, you know, when it is a good plat targeted platform you know, for those audiences, especially when you're trying to um, you know, promote you know, promote the importance of the medical specialty of anesthesiology, of trying to provide uh, education, try to you know, try to combat misinformation, uh, and, and especially I think in the last couple of years, and we found the the importance of having physician voices on social media. Um, 
yeah, and, and and combating misinformation as well. And there's obviously been quite a lot of that recently about um, um, misinformation and, and bots and various other things on, around Twitter, which is continuing to um, be reported in the news, et cetera, but, and, and verification as well. Um, because I guess from the journal perspective, one of the important things that we tried to do was, was to get um, fast and precise information out during the pandemic. Uh, which led to us being able to get verified. Um, but now you can purchase verification, um, but there's no real sort of perfect way of, of being able to highlight yourself as um, as trustworthy. So it's, uh, it's a really fascinating debate that I'm sure will continue um, um, on and on and on. But going back to the paper, which is all about how people can get recognised and published, um, do you think that now in 2023, as we go into next year, that say a relatively unknown clinician or researcher would be able to write some interesting tweets, um, put out some interesting thoughts, um, something really original, uh, a different way maybe of thinking about something um, or some ideas, and be able to develop themselves as a leader in the field. Absolutely. I think um, that's what's so great about social media, right? You can be unknown one day and then go viral, hopefully for good reasons, but literally your life can change overnight. Um, and that's a, a great thing about social media, but can also be a dangerous thing about social media. But anybody who looks to use social media professionally and intentionally can create a name for themselves as a researcher, um, as a clinician that is talking about public health, whatever it may be. But I, I would hope that all young professionals and even older professionals, I love advocating social media to the generation above me as well, because I think there are so many great things to learn and anybody can use it professionally and still make a name for themselves. We talked a little bit about you know self-promotion, right? And it's an uncomfortable thing that nobody necessarily, not everybody likes to do is to promote themselves and say, hey, I did this, I did this. But if you're on social media, if you're on Twitter and you're tweeting about the, you know, let's say you're starting even as a fellow or a junior attending posters you did at a conference, and that may lead to an idea that, you know, so I said, oh, that would be a really interesting research project. Now you're posting about research that you're doing. Um, you can get speaker invitations and then you're connecting with people who, you know, also made you research on the topic. This leads to conference invitations it leads to future publications and i could say this because this happened to me as a junior attending i started right off the bat i was at one of my first conferences i went to as a first year attending someone sat me down and helped you know clear out my twitter accounts and this is and we said this is going to be academic and that's how i started networking with people i got involved in society committees and then that led to we would post about you know posters and then research and then publications. And as if you post about your career as you're doing it, that actually opens doors for you to be like, hey, this person is speaking in these places about this topic. We needed somebody on that topic. Let's invite them here. So it actually opens multiple doors besides just, um, you know, grow, it, in terms of growing your career, um, besides just networking, it may just open opportunity for new project new engagement, new involvement in societies. I think that, you know, we, we talk, especially like, you know, those of us in academics, and we talk a lot about um, promotions and, you know, what does, it, what does it take to start to develop reputation? Um, and I think um, the looking at social media really as, you know, these very, um, you know, they're readily available free tools that you can use to, to build a reputation. 
Um, and I think that that's important because um, everyone starts somewhere. Um, but I do think that, um, like, like for myself, like when you know when I was starting out in my career, um, the, the so, social media was really not part of my upbringing. So I, I, re I really had to learn it, um, yeah, as a as an attending. Um, but I do think that the like the generation of early career um, anesthesiologists we have now, I think, are much more uh, savvy and very familiar with the tools. Um, I think you do have to be intentional. And I think that that's a theme that's really come through um, in a lot of our discussions with people is you really have to think about like, you know, what are those topics that are important to you? Um, are you, yeah, are you an educator? Um, are you a, a working towards becoming an improvement specialist? Are you doing research? Is it basic science? Is it clinical research? Um, and then try to find, find the messages that are helpful and important that really um, you know, brand you, you know, as that expert. Um, in the field, and and it works directly and indirectly. I think, as Michelle said, um, sometimes yeah, having your name out there and associated with the topic, yeah, that leads to invitations. Those invitations allow you to meet and network in person. Um, those may become you know, writing collaborations um, because yeah, as you start to talk to people and start to get to know them, and they get to know you in the community, um, then you become a go-to, and you, know, you get asked to to help out with you know, different things related to society um, activities, as well as you know, get a chance to to speak at meetings, and all of that helps develop your reputation. Yeah, and I guess it helps to break the cycle of the same people talking at meetings and and exactly. uh, relatively unknowns to to come along and to you know have somewhere to be able to express their thoughts and 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 develop those invitations and networks and uh, and expertise which is um, which is fascinating um do you have any real world stories of um, networks that have come about as a result of social media and and papers um one that springs to mind to me was where we saw um, many years ago now, um, Stu Marshall and Nick Crimes write about medication safety. And we actually said, um, you know, your tweets are interesting. Can you write us a paper about that? And it was a very, very, very su successful paper. And that's as a result of social media. Um, so, but do you have any examples uh, of your own like that? We, we had a chance to actually put, um, put a few in our paper, which I thought was really fun because I had to really think about yeah, well, um, how how did these connections come about? You know, and and what was the reason? And how how was this connected to social media um, when we did these papers? And and for some of them, it was really uh, it could have been uh, inspired by uh, the topic of uh, interactive conversation. So it could have gotten the idea, you know, from tweets, yeah, you know, that you know, or con other conversations on social media platforms you know, that were happening at the time that really pointed to things that uh, were probably important and maybe um, maybe haven't been discussed. Um, others were really uh, writing collaborations or writing groups that were formed through online collaboration. Um, and a couple of real life examples that um, we had included were, uh, one was you know, now, um, we almost take it for granted, I think in, in the regional anesthesia world, uh, we've been talking for the last couple of years about this idea of plan A blocks or basic blocks for every anesthetist. Um, but that idea actually started as a Twitter conversation. It started the Twitter conversation, um, and then uh, and then it, it led to a uh, a journal editorial um, in anesthesia with myself and uh, Lloyd Turbot and uh, Kareem El Bagdadli, and then uh, we followed that up actually, and because the ideas in that um, editorial you know, were interesting, and also continued that same conversation with people about well, which blocks would these be, and um, and why is it important, um, and and I think that for many of us uh, who practice regional anesthesia recognize the fact that um, yeah, that not many patients, or at least a small uh, percentage of patients, really have access to regional anesthesia. And, and that really has to be 
part of our um, part of our yeah a small list of priorities um, if we want to change uh, patient outcomes. Um, and so we we followed that with the International Delphi Consensus Project during the pandemic, um, which I think was also um, I think an important project because in, in many of us. Um, it really had to put a lot of research on hold for good reason at the beginnings of uh, 2020. Um, so to be able to use um, you know, this, uh, this great networking platform uh, you know, using Twitter you know, to find other collaborators and, and, other, and people around the world who could participate um, to accomplish a project like that and come up with a non-fellowship regional anesthesia curriculum, I thought was really fantastic. And so, um, and so those, those projects in particular, I consider a continuum, but, but those absolutely have you know, their foundation in social media. I would say on top of like research articles and connections, I think just that networking aspect of social media, creating professional opportunities by from the people that we've met. So yes, papers um, can be accomplished, but even professional context, I'm speaking on behalf of like young professionals that yes, papers and research may take a while, but engaging and connecting with other folks in your field can open doors professionally, whether this is for letters for um, promotion, whether this is for other professional oppor opportunities like speaking and whatnot. Um, I personally had those aspects of doors open from social media and paper. Yes, we the one that we um, just had published right now, this was also accomplished thanks to social media and then other book chapters, case reports that I've also dabbled in um, professionally. Yeah, similarly, I think, um, again, directly or indirectly, it had brought, you know, uh, group groups with similar ideas from other institutions. Um, you know, for myself, I was in a, um, a division that was uh, new, newly academic in the last 10 years that was growing academic. So to be able to work with other hospitals and collaborating on um, projects that really open doors for others within my division as well um, to really be able to expand and have academic support beyond the walls of our own um, department was very, um, very helpful. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that's really one of the big things beside the networking is saying, hey, we don't have to do things just within your own your own department, within your own hospital, we can make this better by collaborating, getting different ideas, and speaking with other. Whether it's you know for a project or for you know working on like a national standardization of like enhanced recovery pathways, um, there's different opportunities where we've now um, connected with people uh, through social media to really improve the quality of what we do and try and answer those questions that we've all had maybe within our own departments and we've realized we've had the same questions. So um, how can we collaborate on research um, to answer those questions? So I know you have to go back to the um, uh, operating theatre now um, because your relief is over. Um, but thank you very much for joining us, Alupi. Um, I will just ask a final question to Adam Michelle, um, which is about where you see things going in the next five to 10 years time in terms of the social media, uh, as we've been talking about. Um, you know, I think as we discussed for now, I think Twitter's here to stay because it's become such an inherent part of, you really see it as an inherent part of academics now within anesthesia. It's really, it's in, in every aspect of it. So, um, I see that we're, I think I, as new platforms come up, which we see like every couple of years, 
I think we're going to maybe be seeing more of that and different ways we can do it. I don't know. You know, I think Twitter is going to have its place um, just for the nature of it. Um, but I think we may find, uh, I think we're going to be exploring others to see, hey, how, what else can we do as we look, as we look to answer more questions, um, how else can we engage with different social media platforms to improve what we do and connect worldwide, essentially. Yeah, I think that they're definitely here to stay, and I think we'll see um, more innovation. I mean, even um, I mean, starting uh, during the last couple of years and still continuing, I mean, we do right now our programs you know, still, uh, for the most part, are doing virtual interviews. And you know, many of our applicants for residency, for fellowship, um, they may not be able to see, see our institution um, in person until they show up, until they show up for their um, yeah, first day of uh, postgraduate training. And so I think... Um, yeah, the the ability I think for academic departments and and physicians and professionals I think to use social media um, yeah, in an intentional way um, so that way they can engage the community um, and also allow uh, others to know exactly what we're doing um, I think that's going to become more and more important and I, and I do think that just like in anesthesia we have so many tools for different things um, I think using social media as a portfolio of platforms and using uh, the ones that make the most sense you know, for uh, for your academic career, whether it's uh, focused more on teaching or on research you know, or I mean, in, in education, it's so broad. It could be uh, trainee education or it could be public education. It could be continuing uh, professional development. Um, I think all of those really inform your choice of tools. So um, I think they're coming and we've seen some really innovative people I know in the world. That, I mean, I, we talk a lot about regional anesthesia because that's what we do, um, but um, really useful um, and now, you know, useful and, and very productive um, educators you know, on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube um, that are really leveraging the video content um, and capabilities of those platforms. So I think we'll continue to see more innovation in that area as well. Great. I think also in the area of education for trainees, because you know they're so accustomed now, the new generation, to being on it. I think it, I think there's opportunity to actually have it incorporated as we're encouraging our trainees to be being updated on the latest, you know, what literature is out and that. So I think, you know, we talk a lot about developing our academic careers, but I think there's also a big place for it once, you know, we guide them in terms of the proper intentional use of social media, that it can have even a bigger place in um, education for our residents and fellows and medical students. Um, I think it already has taken a little, um, I think it has entered that but maybe, you know, using it more regularly as part of the training. Well, thank you very much, um, Ed and Michelle. Thanks for Lippy as well, who was um, here was earlier. Um, really great discussion. Um, I would recommend everyone go and have a look at that paper now, which uh, we tweeted from the journal account this morning. It's available on uh, Early View. Uh, it's free to download at the moment, which is great in full. Um, so do make sure you go and have a read of that paper. The graphics are really great, um, which um, I would recommend anyone keep a copy of that, um, share it with the colleagues, share it with departments, et cetera. It's really well worth it. Um, so congratulations to, um, to you and the other co-authors as well uh, on a great paper, which is um, uh, here to stay now. So thank you very much. Um, we will turn, be turning this into a podcast, which will be available on Spotify, etc. very soon. Um, and this broadcast will be available on Twitter forever.
Thank you very much, guys. Thank, Thank you so much, Mike. The Anesthesia Podcast. <laughs>